1 Peter chapter 4. Um, to begin this study, we're going to want to go back and do a little bit of a review on uh, the three chapters that we have looked at before. Uh, to start before that, we're going to look and review the fact that it was authored by the Apostle Peter. It was written by Sylvanus. It was uh, written somewhere in the time frame of 64 A.D. to 68 A.D. Um, it was written to, to uh, Christians scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor. And we have a picture, uh, borrowed this from Timothy. This is a picture of where that area was, um, the, the region of Asia Minor that, the, that this was written to. And I want you to, not only when you're looking at this picture, place it in comparison to Rome. Because it's going to be very important to understand that as a whole for the whole chapter or for the whole book, is to understand in relation to where this is from Rome. Rome is just a little bit further, about where that R is, maybe a little bit further than that from where these guys are, okay? It's, a, it's really close. So I want you to think about that in comparison to all that's happening in this book as far as suffering and all the references to suffering and all the, the problems that the, the Christians were supposedly having at this time. And also want you to, to uh, remember the primary theme of this entire book is to encourage Christians to stay faithful throughout persecution in order to inherit eternal life. Now this becomes very important not only when you look at the location of where the area was, but also consider the dates. The dates matter as well because the ruler, the emperor in Rome, was Nero. Now, that's a name that most of us know. Nero was one of the most horrific persecutors of the, of the Christian church. So P Peter is writing to these people when they're going through some of the most horrendous tortures that Christians had, had gone through. I'm not saying it's the end all that it was the worst possible, but it was extremely horrific, the type of things that Nero would do to these people. Now, it matters a little bit more when you think, when you realize the time frame and as well as the proximity to Rome and the proximity to the, the persecution when you're talking about this book. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, faith with the purpose, that's basically the overarching principle that was, that was brought to us, was that it was faith with the purpose. You have to have a purpose to your faith. You have to, to know what, why you believe what you believe. It matters why you, what you believe and why you believe it. You need to know what you believe. First Peter chapter 2, live boldly for Christ. It matters. Live boldly for Christ. You're going to have to endure some suffering. Again, think about whether, what, who he's writing to. You're going to have to endure some, some uh, persecution. These people are told by Peter to live boldly in the face of that kind of persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 3, be like Christ. Christ endured a lot of things. Christ lived a life that was still what God wanted him to live. Wives, husbands, servants, live like Christ. That brings us to chapter, chapter 4. And this is where I believe this is kind of what you can call as the overarching principle that can be found in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, suffer like Christ. You know, Christ suffered for us in many ways, and 
we've, we've heard sermons in the past about the pain and torture that Christ has gone through for us. We as Christians have to understand that we are going to have to suffer like Christ in this world. Now, the three things we're going to look at, the three ways that this is divided up in my, in my mind was to think like Christ, to serve one another, to eat, serve each other, and then to, serve, uh, to suffer for Christ. We're going to break this chapter down into those categories. We're going to break them up into those, uh, those passages, and we're going to start looking through each one, and we're going to try to delve a little bit into each, um, each one of these passages. But in each one, I'm going to highlight some areas, and that's really what I'm going to talk about. You guys are more than uh, able to read between what I'm going to talk about, and I encourage you to do so. As I'm talking to you, please read. But I want you to, to hear the highlighted portions, which is what I'm wanting to, to, bring to bring out for you guys to learn or for us to learn from. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he hath suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. You know, Jesus, uh, Peter is talking about how Jesus has suffered for us in this flesh, in the physical since Jesus suffered for us. We as Christians need to have that same mindset that we're willing to suffer for Christ. Just suffer. Because it's going to happen. There's no, not a single one of us that's not going to suffer something for Christ. Especially, here's the, here's the crux of the matter, especially if you're living for Christ. Because if you've ceased from sin, you're going to suffer in the flesh. You're going to suffer in this physical sense. You may be not, it may not be something where you're receiving persecution in the physical sense, where you're actually being whipped, being beaten. But you may lose a promotion at work because you chose not to be at work when they told you to be at work because you were choosing to be at church. Or perhaps you were losing your friends at school because you're not doing the things that they want to do. Or maybe you're being made fun of because you're choosing not to do those things. The type of persecution that we're suffering here in America is not going to be the same as what the people in Asia Minor were suffering under the rule of Nero. But there is suffering and persecution that will happen to us today. And if we have ceased from sin, if we are living a life that's no longer following doing sin, then we're going to suffer certain, certain ways. That he no longer should, should live the rest of his time in the flesh the lust of men, but to the will of God. That is our goal. That we're going to live not for ourselves, but for the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. That is a lot of King James. <laughs> I had to look at that three or four times in the King James. I was like, forget it. I'm looking in the ESV. Basically what this means... <laughs> We have had plenty of time in the past, in our past life, we spent plenty of time doing what we wanted to do. Now it's time for us to live for God. We've done enough of that. He's talking to these people in Asia Minor who are technically Gentiles. They're not Jews. I'm saying there may have been a few Jews there, but the majority of the people there aren't going to be Jews. They're living the way the Gentiles would have lived at that time. And he's saying, you've done that. You're done. You know, how many times have you met somebody who talks about their past life before they become a Christian? You can kind of tell 
what they really feel about that time of their life, by how they speak about it. There's certain people you can speak to and they talk about it in kind of a nonchalant, yeah, I did that, it's cool kind of thing. They're kind of proud of that in a way. Then you can talk to others who are really kind of ashamed of where their life was before. What kind of Christian are you when it comes to your past life? Are you living, are you living your life in a way that you're like, you're saying, I, yes, I did that. That's, but that's in the past, and I'm leaving it there. I, I'm glad it's in the past. I don't, want, I don't want it to come back. I spent plenty of time doing that. Now it's time for me to serve God. Because people will think it's strange when you, when, when, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In my past life, in my past, <laughs> not, I'm not preaching past lives here, um, but, but in, in my uh, pre-Christian era, I guess we could call it that, when I was not living the way I should have lived, I had friends, I had people I could spend time with and do whatever I wanted to do. When I became a Christian, when I started living a Christian, let me put it that way, when I started living as a Christian, you know, some of those people kind of made fun of me. They're like, what's this? Who's this person? You know, sometimes you have to cut those people out of your life because they're going to speak evil of you because of your decision to be a Christian. Sometimes you have to cut those people out of your life. They're going to speak evil. They're going to find it strange that you've now changed your life to where you're not doing those things that you were doing before. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing if you're having to suffer that way, where they're making fun of you. Don't take that as a bad thing. It's good. That means you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're thinking like Christ. Verse 5, uh, verse 6 is what we're going to focus on, but I want to read verse 5. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Verse 5 is really going back to verse 4. Those that speak evil of you. He's saying those people that speak evil of you, those are living the riotous life, the ones that are living the way they want to live and not following God, they're going to have to answer to him, Christ, and God, who, are go who is going to judge those that are alive and dead. They're going to have to answer to him. You don't need to worry about that. As a Christian, don't worry about the people that are making fun of you. They're going to have to answer for their actions. And then verse 6, this is one of those verses that really tripped me up. So... I went to the ESV again. Um, for, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, I've, I had really struggled trying to figure out what this meant. I'm still not sure. <laughs> I'll just put it to you that way. But I lean towards... The idea that this is talking about people, Christians who were dead in the past. And he's saying the reason the gospel was preached to these people is so that even though they were going to suffer, even though they were going to die, even though they're going to be judged according to what people do and how people think, I want you to consider, think about Nero. Think about the area they're in. Okay? 
many people, Christians would have died for Christ, would have died being Christians. They were judged according to the flesh, but they're going to live in the spirit the way God does. Because of their acceptance, because they obeyed the gospel, because they did what God asked them to do, they're going to be alive in the spirit. Now, there's another thought on this. We can talk about it after church if you would like to. Um, but that's, the, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards reading through this passage. In my opinion, it fits with the entire theme of the book to consider that you are suffering. The gospel was preached to those, even those that are dead, were dead. They're going to be alive in the spirit. Now, the second uh, area or second portion of this passage is to serve each other. Now, that seems to be a complete shift of mind from suffering and thinking like Christ to talking about serving each other. But it fits. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober. Okay, as Christians, we are called to watch. We are called to pay attention. If we're serving each other, we're going to be paying attention to what's going on with each other. We're going to be watchful unto prayer for each other. Because we love each other. Charity means love. We have fervent love one for another, so we're going to be watching for each other. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. If we love each other the way we should as Christians and as a, as a church, our faults, maybe those in the past, the love for each other is going to cover those. Now, we may make some mistakes with each other. We may have some sin problems with each other. But if we love each other, we're going to cover those. Basic, I'm not saying that we're going to say those don't exist. We're not going to deal with them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we as a person who has a has a sin committed against us, or we as a person has a problem against us, we're going to show love to that person. We're going to cover it and say, that's not going to bother me. I'm going to love you because I'm watching for you. I care about you. Again, think about the time. They're not care, they don't care if the AC is at 65 or at 75. They don't care what's going on around them. They don't care about politics. They're surviving as Christians. Surviving, dealing with persecution. They're showing love to each other. You've heard the statement, united we stand, divided we fall. As Christians, if we love each other, if we're united as Christians, we're going to cover our mistakes. We're going to cover those things. And live and strive to live in unity because of the persecutions that are around us. There's plenty of stuff going on out there attacking us. We don't need to be fighting against ourselves. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. I said I wasn't going to read all of it. I guess I am. As every man has received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Every one of us, I highlighted this portion, every one of us has a gift. 
Sorry, I highlighted the next portion. Every one of us has a gift. Hospitality is a gift. Sometimes we don't think of, that, think of it that way. Opening your home to people is a gift. Spending time with each other is using that gift. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, God has given us so much. Not only should we be hospitable to one another without grudging, that's the part that we're think, thinking about, without grudging. Do we complain when we have to provide meal for somebody? Somebody who's lost a, a loved one and we're having to provide a meal, I say having to, getting to provide a meal for them? Do we complain when the elders ask for that? Do we complain when we have a preacher into town and we really don't want them to stay with us because then we have to live differently? We have to live like a preacher staying with us, not with the way I want to live. Do we complain or do we choose to be hospitable one to, one to another? Now, I'm saying that to people outside coming in, but what about just within our church building? We have 80-plus members in this building. Are we hospitable one to, to each other? That's who he's talking to, is Christians in that area being hospitable to each other. Each person has a gift. Are you using that gift to glorify God? Or choosing not to? Because it is a choice, it's a decision that each and every one of us makes, whether we want to or whether we don't. You know, it's our responsibility as Christians to use that gift, not to just hide it. Why? The whole purpose for us to using our gifts is that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, through everything we do, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to thinking like Christ, when it comes to hospitable attitudes, when it comes to our gifts that we're given, you may not have the ability to preach, you may not have the ability to lead, lead a song, you may not have the ability to pray. But you have many other talents. There's many other talents in this world. There's IT that I know nothing about. I, I can't math very well. We found that here before. Maybe it's you can teach somebody some math skills. Maybe it's somebody can help a child learn how to read. Have you ever thought about using those skills for God, for Christ? Every one of us has a gift. We are supposed to be good stewards of that gift and use it so that God may be glorified in all things. That is the whole purpose for us having our abilities, and that's the whole purpose for us using them. The last portion of this uh, chapter deals with suffering for Jesus. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Now, I can, I can, just, I can just imagine the mindset, if you will, of somebody who's dealing with this, this trial. You, you've got Nero 
breathing down your neck. You've got a Roman, Roman legionnaire standing at your door. You're having to tell him you are a Christian or you're not. One of the two. You're standing at this door and you choose to say, I am a Christian. You get hauled off to prison. You get hauled off to die because you know that's what's about to happen to you. I wonder if the thought ever crossed their mind, why me? Why did this happen to me? I can't believe I am going to die. You know, Peter here is kind of saying, hey, what was me is not the attitude. What was me is not the attitude you need to have. You're going to suffer. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps, if you will. Suffering is going to happen. Peter's telling them, this isn't something strange. You knew this was, co- this was coming. As a Christian, you know that this is what's expected for you to suffer. Now, again, we're talking about people who dealt with Nero. Now, let's bring it home to College Park. Bring it to America, where you don't have a governing power that causes that kind of distress to you. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, I'm suffering for Jesus because I lost my job, but I'm I'm pushing through. I think we need to be careful when we do things like that because are those things really because you're suffering for Christ or is it maybe because you didn't do what you're supposed to do? And you're just saying, I'm suffering for Christ. I'm pushing through. I think we need to be careful because if, you're, if you lost your job or maybe you are suffering in the physical sense because of being a Christian, like I said, maybe you told your boss, I'm not working. I'm just not doing it. Or maybe you said, I don't, I'm not going to do this unethical thing. You're telling me to fudge some numbers? I'm not going to do that. And he says, okay, well, bye. That's suffering for Christ. But if you lose your job, because you did fudge numbers? Or maybe you decided, you know, I really don't want to go to work today. Rockets are playing. I don't want to go to work today. You know, you do that four or five times in a week. I, I would do that. Maybe you, know, maybe you get away with it once a week, but you do it three or four or five times a week, you're going to lose your job. But to say that you're suffering for Christ because you lost your job in that sense, I don't think is a fair statement to make. Because you chose to do that. That wasn't you suffering for Christ. That wasn't you choosing to be the Christian that you needed to be, and you lost your job. You act as if it's some strange thing. I can't believe that happened. I missed work, you know, 15 weeks out of a 52-week year. I can't believe I lost my job. You act like it's a big deal or crazy change. That's not not true. (laughs) We need to be careful when we say things like that, that we're not attributing faults to Christ for your own mistakes. But I think there's the second part about that is just that Peter is just letting them know you're going to suffer. Just be ready. It's going to happen. It's not going to be something new. 
Christ died for you, why should you expect that you're going to not suffer? If you be reproached for the name of Christ, be happy. Happy are ye. Sorry, that's ESV came out. Happy are ye. Be happy when you're reproached for Christ. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God's saying, if you're suffering and if you're persecuted and reproached for my name's sake, be happy about that. Because I'm glorified. I'm glorified when that happens. Because on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. I think I jumped the gun a little bit. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's business or other, other men's matters. This is where he's talking about the idea of if you're doing something wrong and you suffer for it, you deserve it. Plain and simple. There's nothing glorious about it. There's nothing cool about that. Nothing great or glorifying to God. You did something wrong, you deserve the punishment for it. Where the glory happens is if you do something right, do something for Christ, and then you suffer for it. That's where the glory is. That's when God is happy with you. If it first begin with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. You know, think about your suffering this way, basically is what Peter's saying. If you suffer right now because of you being a Christian, just think about what's going to happen to those that didn't obey God's gospel at the end of time. Now, there's, there's two ways that you can take this kind of uh, encouragement is kind of a, a kind of a uh, almost a dark humor type way of you know you know you're suffering now but think about what's going to happen to them later on down the road but I don't know if that's completely true I mean I think you could you could definitely take that if you were one of those kind of people that's out for revenge and want to want to see people suffer for <laughs> really you you dealing with pain so you're, you're wanting everybody else to deal with pain I, you could see I could see that being the way you would think but as a Christian, I think it's also an admonishment to us to say, those that haven't obeyed the gospel, think about the suffering you're suffering right now, and imagine how bad it's going to be for them later. Why would you want that for them? Let's, get, let's bring them over to being Christians. Maybe they, they may suffer now. They may suffer right now, but it's going to be so much worse for them if, they, if you uh, let them live that life of sin. For judgment, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. If you're suffering for Christ, now, there is, a, there is an understanding or requirement. 
and the ESV kind of puts it in a different puts it in a different place, but I think it just kind of sums it up for me. A requirement is while doing good. You know, the, the, the peace and the comfort and the glorifying of God that happens when you suffer happens when you're doing good, not when you're doing evil. Bad decisions that you make don't glorify God when you suffer. I think that's the idea with this book, with this, with this chapter, is you're suffering for Christ. You're suffering while doing good things for Christ. You're suffering like him. When you're living a life that you want to live and you're suffering for it, you shouldn't be surprised about that. What you should want to do is to know that you are suffering for him and suffering like him because you're doing good. Those are the three areas that I think uh, sum up the chapter of First uh, Peter chapter 4, the overarching principle of suffering like him. Thinking about the idea that Christ suffered for you in the flesh. We are not higher than our master. We're going to deal with persecution. We're going to deal with suffering. Now, I've talked to you about the uh, principles of becoming a Christian. And uh, a doom and gloom type sermon like this kind of makes you not want to be, right? Just kidding. I'm not saying that that's actually what you think. But the decisions you make to become a Christian is the best decision you'll ever make. Not just for this life, but for eternity. Because you may suffer a few things here, but you'll live in eternity with peace with God and Jesus.